Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The, the, the book of Acts, chapter 6, and the first eight verses. Our subject this evening is the deacon. As you know, we are going to be recommending to the church, that is the deacon board and I, and right now the deacon board consists of one deacon and I, will be recommending to the church very shortly some other men to be elected as deacons of this church. Uh, We have, uh, at least I have, uh, talked to seven men in the church and uh, we're going to be talking to them further, waiting for answers from all but one of them, I guess, at this point in time, as to whether or not they would agree to being a part of our deacon board. And I want this evening to deal with the subject of the deacon, what he is, what his qualifications are, what's expected of this particular person in the church and to deal with the background as to how deacons actually got started and that's where we are in Acts chapter 6 in those days when the number of disciples were multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians among the Hebrews uh, I beg your pardon against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pause at that moment, at that point, for just a moment, and ask the Lord's blessing on this evening. Our Father and our God, as we now endeavor to impart to your word, give us wisdom of speech and understanding that we might receive truly your teaching about this important position within the church. Open our hearts and minds to receive it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the early church, the very beginning of the church, The church was under tremendous persecution. Many Christians were being put in jail. You remember that that's what Paul was attempting to do when he went to Damascus. 
And some of them were dying because of their unwillingness to recant that which they had said they believed. They were losing property, opportunities of income, their jobs were being taken away. They were in dire straits. And as a result of that, the people who were Christian band themselves together, and all of their income, and in many times even their property that they sold, the money from it, went into a common treasury where the apostles then would distribute from that treasury to each family as they had need because there were those who absolutely had nothing and there were those who had substantial. And in order to take care of all the people, they band themselves together monetarily to take care of everybody's needs. So that the widows and the orphans were taken care of, the families that had no means of income were, were taken care of with food and clothing and housing and all those things. But as the church grew, the numbers were getting so large that it was becoming unmanageable. And as a result, there became an argument, there came an argument between the people who were Greeks in the church and those who were Hebrews in the church. There was a mixed body, not, not a white Anglo-Saxon group such as we are, but there was a mixture of different nationalities and particularly Greeks and Hebrews in, in the church. And the Greek people began to complain that their widows and their orphans were not receiving the, the amount due them for, from the general treasury. This was a complaint that they were being neglected. And they brought this problem to the apostles. And the apostles said, now it, it is not reasonable that we ought to spend our time uh, dealing with these daily administrative type things and take our time from preaching and teaching and prayer. He, and they said, therefore, they would ask the church to pick out from amongst their own number seven men and that they would assign the responsibilities of looking after these daily functions to those seven in order that the apostles could continue handling the preaching and the praying and the teaching and, and all of those things were going on. It became too much of a burden for the apostles in, in the activities that they were engaging in to continue handling these uh, lesser responsibilities. Not lesser importance, but uh, they needed to be taken care of, but not to take time away from the preaching ministry. The same problem that Moses ran into when he tried to judge all of the Hebrew people in the wilderness. He was sitting all day long, and the people were coming to him in droves, and he was hearing their cases and making judgments. And his father-in-law, Jethro, said, now that's not very sensible. You need to appoint some people to hear these things, and only you handle the, the bigger issues. And so they, they developed a judge system so that other people would hear the problems in the, in the Hebrew people there in the wilderness. And here now the apostles within the church are faced with the same thing. And so the apostles asked the church to appoint seven. And do you know 
those who want to literally, I mean absolutely literally, interpret the scripture will say that you must have seven and you can't have no more than seven because that's the number that's stated in the scripture. Uh, they only were intending to bring together a number sufficient to take care of the need. In some churches, there wouldn't be that need of seven men responsible for looking after the affairs of the church. But take a church such as in Seoul, Korea, the largest church in the world that has uh, thousands upon thousands of members. How many deacons do you think they would need to handle the affairs of those several thousand people? Uh, even in our own state, one of the, the largest, well, let me rephrase that, the, the fastest growing Baptist church in West Virginia is the North Parkersburg Baptist Church. They receive people into their fellowship, I believe, every Sunday uh, that, that they are in session. Every, every week people are being added to that church. It's a tremendously growing organization. They would need, I wouldn't know how many men uh, to, to be deacons, if for no other reason than simply to see to it that the communion was served. Seven people who could not serve that congregation in any kind of reasonable time. You'd be there all day just getting that project taken care of. So the number is not magical. The thing that is important for us to notice that they were to pick out some men who had some qualifications that we will deal with in a moment. And they finally became known as deacons. They're not even called that initially. The word deacon has an interesting history to the word, and I want to give it to you. A deacon is one who waits on tables. He is a waiter. Now, one of the problems that arose amongst the apostles even while Jesus was still with them, is that none of them wanted to wait on the other. They all wanted to be waited upon. They wanted somebody to provide them a service. On that evening that Jesus instructed some of his apostles to, to go to the upper room and make preparation for that final feast, one of the things that they should have done was make plans for the washing of the disciples' feet and Jesus' feet just for comfort. That was a custom in that day. But not one of them would be willing to wrap a towel around him and kneel at the door and wash everyone's feet as they come into, came into the building. And Jesus, after the meal was over, they ate with dirty feet, uncomfortable situation, after the meal was over, got up himself and wrapped a towel around him and went down that row washing everybody's feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter said, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yes, that's my intention. And Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, then you're not one of mine. And then, of course, he recanted, and he said, don't only wash my feet, but wash my head also. I mean, he, he had a different attitude toward it completely. The intention of the word is to be applied to a person who is a servant, one who serves others. 
And Jesus made it clear that he did not come into the world to be ministered unto. He came to be a minister, that is, a servant. And so in this term, we can even call him a deacon, one who waits on the needs of others. And that Jesus certainly demonstrated well in his, in his life. And so a deacon must be thought of as a person who takes the interests of the congregation far and above his own. And I'm going to make some more statements on that just a little bit later. If you take the, the words and go back to the old Hebrew, deacon is a Greek word. The Hebrew word is hazan, H-A-Z-Z-A-N. And it was applied to people who served in the temple they were the ones who opened the doors and kept the building clean and passed out the books for the service and did all of those things that would take care of the need of the worship. And so all the way through from the Old Testament through the New Testament right up until today's time, this person is one who is to serve others in order that the apostles originally and now the pastors can spend their time in the preaching and the teaching of the word. And those other things, the needs of the congregation, are to be handled by a group called deacons. Now what are the qualifications of people who are to be identified in this category? And if you look at the third verse, you will see three things identified that these men are expected to be. They are called men who are of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So they're to be honest, recognized for their Christian faith, and people who are wise. Those are the three initial qualifications that were placed upon the people in this job. I think we can quickly see that, that those qualifications are important. Certainly no one would want, as a member of a deacon board, a person who is dishonest. And so his integrity is certainly brought into the picture and questioned as to whether he is a person that can be depended upon to be perfectly honest and above board in all of his affairs, not only within the church, but certainly even outside the church. He is a man that ought to be looked up to, uh, that has a, has a character that calls him uh, to, be, to be honest, and you can depend upon him. If he says it, it will be. If he does it, it is right. He tries in all of his activities to be perfectly honest in all of his dealings. No shyster uh, of, of any sort, no shadow upon his character of a person who is not certainly honest. And secondly, one who is full of the Holy Ghost. He is recognized for being a spiritual person. Now, this does not mean that he has to be a person who gets up in front of the congregation and leads a devotional. One of the men that I spoke to just recently uh, came back with me, uh, to me on the subject. As a matter of fact, I haven't even approached him yet. We were talking about the needs for deacons, and he said to me, well, don't you look at me for a deacon. 
And I said to him, I am exactly looking to you as one of the deacons. And he said, but I don't have a good education. I can't get up in front and speak. And I said, I never even asked you if you have the qualifications to do that. Those things don't get into the picture nearly as much as what's in your mind and what's in your heart. Those are the bottom lines for people in this category who have a heart for God, who loves the church and wants to promote uh, the, the gospel of Christ. He doesn't have to be the one standing up here reading the scripture or leading in public prayer or doing those things. Some men will be capable of doing that, but not all men. It doesn't mean that we need all men capable of standing up and delivering a sermon. Some may do it. Some may be able to do all sorts of things, but what we're saying is the, the qualifications for a deacon deals with his mind and his heart. <clears throat> Are they in the right place? Does he love Jesus Christ? And will he promote the gospel through whatever efforts he might have? Simply sometimes being in the service continually is a demonstration of his faith and his leadership. And I look up to many men in this world who don't have a, a great education. That becomes secondary, and it is secondary. Uh, we're talking about men with heart for Jesus Christ. And that is the second thing that the apostles looked at. Thirdly, men who are wise. I believe the wisest man I've ever known was my grandfather, and he never got out of grade school. But that man was wise, and I tell you why I think he was wise, and that is because God gave him wisdom. You remember how God spoke to Solomon and asked him what he wanted? He said, I want wisdom. And God gave it to him. There are many people in our churches, and this church is no exception, who are wives that don't have, as we say, the book learning. That isn't where it comes from. I have seen educated idiots. I've heard a few of them preach, and I've heard lots of them teach who can't do anything other than repeat what is in the book that they're referring to. They do not have the wisdom to sort out and, and see things like they ought to be and give good counsel to the church. That's what we're after. People who have level heads who will give good counsel. All right. We have a list here of seven men. I'm glad the men in our church don't have some of these names. I can pronounce Philip and Stephen and uh, uh, maybe another two. Some of those other guys uh, have I have difficulty with. And you know that most of those fellows we never hear of. We know about Stephen and we know about Philip. Well, when you come to the rest of those men, they, they didn't particularly do anything that was outstanding. They got into history books. They never even uh, had any recordings in the scripture as to what they did. But the church looked upon them as leaders within their organization. They were not the outstanding men that would go down in history, but they did the responsibility placed upon them. And the scripture says in the seventh verse that after this was done, that God blessed the church and it increased in numbers... Why? Because there was an order established within the church to guide and lead and things were done as they ought to be done. 
A strong deacon board makes a strong church. A weak deacon board will make a weak church because there is your leadership within that organization. Now pastors come and go, but deacons have a tendency to stay around. That's why we need good, strong leaders within an organization. And uh, now we're shorthanded and we need to do something about it. We have one deacon in Florida, we have one deacon that resigned, and we have only one acting deacon, and we've got to correct that situation. All right, this was the beginning of it. Now we're going to shift 30 years from the time this was done until over in 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy the further qualifications of a deacon. So if you want to turn over there now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. A few weeks ago, when we were dealing with the qualifications of the pastor on the subject of divorce, we were in this particular chapter, and we noted the qualifications of a pastor in the early portion of, of that chapter. And then down at verse 8, we began to see that there are some qualifications identified here uh, for deacons. Now remember... We have grown 30 years now. The church has multiplied. It's much larger. There is a lot more thinking about deacons and what they do and what they ought to be from that original three-point qualification of honesty, uh, full of the Holy Ghost, and, and of wisdom. We now go on to Paul describing deacons a little further. And I want to deal with those. And he begins in verse 8, uh, well, with the word likewise, meaning the same kind of, of character that you would find in a pastor, you will likewise will find in a deacon. They are made out of the same mold. They may serve different positions within the church, but they've got some, they have some things about them that, that are identical, and one of those is the word grave. He uses that first word, deacons must be grave. Uh, the word grave means one who is steady. You'll find that word in the Living Bible. They're steady. That is, they're solid. They're dependable. They're not flighty. They're down to earth. Those words come into play on that word grave. They can be expected to perform without regard to any individual ideas or attitudes. They'll not go off on a tangent somewhere other. They're going to be there fully uh, fighting the issues and full of wisdom and stay with the organization, the church. They're going to be serious-minded people who are not wishy-washy going one way or another. Secondly, he says they are not double-tongued. That is a person who speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He says one thing today and something else tomorrow. This type person uh, would have to be suspect for being a person who is a deacon or a pastor. One that you cannot depend upon him to be perfectly honest in what he says. That type of individual is not expected to be a deacon. You want one whose word is his bond. When he says it, you believe it, and you can take it to the bank. That's the kind of qualification that Paul identifies here. And thirdly, he says, not given to much wine. 
This always amuses me, and I, I'm going to ask Paul when I get to heaven why he wrote it that way, and ask the Lord why he told him to write it that way, because up when it comes to the pastor up there, he's not supposed to drink at all, but down here for the deacon, he's just not supposed to be a heavy imbiber, not given to much wine. Did you see the word much? I don't know why he allowed the deacon to have more liberty there than he did the pastor. Um, but we've got to remember in that day and time, the drinking of wine was totally acceptable. It was a drink of the day because their water was, was not uh, good to drink. And uh, all of the people drank wine, but there was a point at which it had to be watched because those who, who drank it uh, had a tendency to get drunk, and some of them did that. And certainly, this is making reference to a person who who is not a, a drunkard, not one who abuses any kind of not only alcoholic drink, but I think we could probably, without abusing the scripture at all, go on and say one that is uh, uh, very careful that he does not overdo or overindulge in anything. There are some people who are so caught up, for example, in uh, ball games that it will take precedence over Sunday night worship. And they'll sit glued to the, to the TV set. A man who wants to watch a ball game and preference to being in church would fall into the category that would, we would be discouraged from accepting that type of individual as a deacon of the church. The church must be primary in his mind and heart. And he will give way, even though he has some desires, as most of us men do, to watch ball games. But when it comes church time, the TV goes off and we're in church. And any deacon who sits in front of a television set on Sunday night when the church is being conducted is highly suspect as being a good candidate for this particular position. Because he is overindulging himself in something that has nothing to do with the spread of the gospel. And so he is an individual that, that is moderate in all things and has his priorities in order. And then fourthly, he says that he is not greedy of filthy lucre. He is not an individual who is so interested in getting the dollar that he will do anything that he can to get it. And this needs to be watched carefully, and we are not here talking about a person who uh, works hard and gains money. There is no disqualification for a wealthy person being a deacon. That's not the issue at all. The issue is, does he have so much interest in gaining monetarily that he allows that to overshadow his obligations to the church and to the spread of the gospel? He is a person who is generous with uh, his time and his talent and his money. He is willing to give his share, and oftentimes we will find a good deacon doing more, going the second mile, doing extra, always being that person ready and willing to, to enhance the program of the church, the gospel of Christ as it's preached, 
by doing even a bit more than would be expected of anybody else. His time, his, his energy, his money is all tied up in what his job is in the church. And fifthly, we find that uh, he, in verse 9, that he is a holder of the mystery of the faith in a good conscience. In other words, he is an earnest follower of Jesus Christ. There is no doubt where he stands when it comes to his faith. This is a good deacon that you know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in the world. He stand, He can stand before the congregation with a pure conscience because we can see him that he has his faith where it ought to be. He can be depended upon to be a spiritual individual who loves the church and supports its ministry. And he will, because of that, put the interests of the gospel and the church first and will not allow his personal prejudices to ever interfere. He'll put them aside. And this sorts people out pretty quick. Because sometimes we are very prone to be so tied up in our own ideas and prejudices that we will want our way without regard to the benefit or the destruction that it might have upon the church. A good deacon will always put the church first. That's the kind of men that we need. And when I say the church, I'm not referring only uh, to our organization, but I'm referring to the church as the means whereby the gospel is spread. He will do whatever he can to spread the gospel. And fourthly, then, uh, let me say that uh, in verse 10, we have the words that uh, an admonition to let that person who is a deacon use the office of the deaconship being found blameless. He never does it for personal gain, nor for, pre for prestige, nor for honor. He is a deacon to serve, to be the waiter of tables, to put the interests of others in the interests of the church first and foremost. And then the 11th verse, and we'll not deal with this much, but, but uh, the deacons have their wives identified and mentioned here in the scripture. Uh, you will notice that the wife of the pastor is never mentioned in the passage above, and that's another strange thing that I wonder why it was done that way. But he identifies with the deacon that their wives must be also serious-minded, not slanders, that is, they don't gossip, they're sober, they're faithful in all things. And then he says, let the, husband, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. I explained that when we dealt with the subject of divorce, those who did not want to believe it still don't believe it, and that's quite all right. But the scripture is not dealing with being married more than one time, even for deacons. The scripture is identifying the fact that if you're going to be a deacon as well as a pastor, you only have one wife. You do not have two or three or four all at the same time. That was the custom in that day, and the church was attempting to break this down, and the teachings of Jesus uh, began it, and the apostles were continuing it to, to stop this thing of polygamy 
And that's exactly what they were doing. And he also says that a deacon ought also to rule their own houses well. Well, let's conclude with the 13th verse. When he identifies the fact that a deacon will receive a blessing from God when he serves in this capacity well, he says a deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. To uh, maybe state that uh, in a little simpler terms uh, and without abusing the scripture, the Lord, the Lord is saying here that a deacon will be blessed of God when he performs his service the way that God has intended for it to be performed. Now, in our Constitution, we have some things about deacons. And let me just quickly make reference to it. And our Constitution says that we will have a deacon board of at least three deacons, meaning that we can have more. That it is the responsibility of the board of deacons and the pastor to recommend to the church qualified candidates for this position. The Senate and I have discussed and we'll discuss further, we'll discuss further the recommendation of these. I've already talked, as I told you, to all those that, that we are considering. And then these men who are now elected will serve for one year in that capacity to prove themselves at the end of that year. Then the church may, if they uh, like the work that these men have done, will ordain them. They will be ordained deacons just as pastors are ordained pastors. The responsibility in our constitution of a deacon is to, number one, is to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper. That's a fairly simple thing to do. But it goes on to say uh, to attend to the necessities of the poor, to help the pastor in his visitation, and to superintend, that is to look over all the affairs of the church that is not in charge of some other officer, and they are to guard zealously and foster the spiritual life of the church. And they are to provide for the services of the church when the pastor is absent. They were to give spatial attention to new members that they might be instructed in uh, the Christian life. These are some of the things that uh, are the responsibilities of the deacon within the, uh, the Constitution. But the... Uh, original intent, and still is as far as that's concerned, is that the deacons are to be servers of the congregation to look after its needs in order that the pastor might go on with, uh, with the preaching and evangelizing and those things. But uh, the, the physical needs and the spiritual care of the congregation is in the hands of the deacon board. So as we talk to men of this congregation about this position. We hope that the whole congregation will pray and that particularly those who have been asked to uh, assume this responsibility will preferably consider doing so and within, I hope, two weeks I'll be able to stand before you and say that we have talked to so-and-so, all, I'm going to recommend six, six men, and they have agreed to accept the responsibility of deacon if the church would so 
direct. And we'll bring those names to the church and, and ask you to approve them for this position within the church. In our organization, they serve a lifetime. There are some churches that have them on a rotating basis. Although they're ordained for life, they don't serve but about three years at a time, and then they rest a year before coming back to serve anymore. Whether we do that or not is of not particular importance, but we want to look amongst us and find men who meet these qualifications, honest, wise, and no doubt about their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the people that will serve us well. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.